up. It's another episode here with Wake Up With KC. And today I have a very special guest. And I actually have been waiting to have a guest like this person who is very successful in life. Millionaire, had everything going for him. And then something happened that transformed his life and makes me wonder about others like him. And he joins us today to share that with us. Please welcome Jeff Raisley. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, Casey. Nice to be with you. Well, you know, you reached out to me and I read your email and I was like, oh my God, this, you have so many accolades, so many accomplishments. You were in the law, you had a law firm. You had everything, like you were very successful, married to kids and whatnot. Can you like share some of that with the audience and then we'll go into what happened? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I um, was the senior partner in a small law firm. Um, it, the business was going very well, um, you know, kind of achieving everything I had set out. To achieve as a lawyer, I handled a number of significant cases. Um, I had a great marriage, um, two boys that I just absolutely loved and doted on and coached a lot of their sports teams. Um, on the surface, I had a perfect life. And I got to be just uh, over 40. And um, even though on the surface, everything seemed to be so perfect, I, I this growing sense of, is that all there is, was um, starting to disrupt my peace of mind. And um, my wife noticed this. And so <laughs> uh, one day I came home from the office and this and this occurred after I had become, I think something of a pain in the ass by uh, manifesting midlife crisis symptoms. And she slapped a brochure, uh, brochure down on the table in front of me and said, why don't you go do this? And the brochure <laughs> was uh, to join a trekking group and track the Mount Everest base camp trail in Nepal. So she was basically saying, why don't you go take a hike, buddy, and do it on the other side of the world? <laughs> well, that has a great sense of humor to instead of like, you know, go take a hike. No, literally, go take a hike. Here, you go to the Himalayas, the Mount Everest and whatnot. Um, that's cute. It you know, was it because of stress? It was it because you 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 mentioned a gnawing or something eating at you that was disrupting your peace of mind. But could it have been something even deeper that was trying to wake you up or grab your attention? Yeah, um, I, I think. You know, you kind of alluded to really two different levels, which which I think is is right on. On one level, uh, I was living under a lot of stress, um, just juggling all these balls. Uh, 
you know, the business, uh, all of my cases, um, trying to be a very involved father and responsive husband. Um, so there, there was a lot of stress and anxiety that just goes with practicing law. And I added to it because I was also serving as a director on several boards. Um, and I was also very active in our church. Um, but that deeper sense that you were alluding to was um, uh, I, I had gotten disconnected from something that had been very important through uh, most of my life from the, the time I was a teenager, um, which was being an adventurer and which usually played out through adventure travel. But it, it, um, it adventure satisfied um, what I think of as a spiritual need, not just a, you know, kind of testosterone, adrenaline-fueled kind of adventure. Um, but uh, the, I think of adventure as having a spiritual dimension to it as well. And my wife recognized this was missing, that that had been something that had been a strong theme in my life. And I, I just, uh, you know, I was ignoring it. Well, do you think, like knowing what you know now and everything that you experience, it's like being in a program. Like everybody's running around like robots doing like the same thing and they're missing out on living life, enjoying life, getting into nature. And like when you went on, and you'll share it in a moment when you decided to go on these adventures. It's almost having, the, and it's a spiritual thing, but it, to me, it's like connecting to the nature, mother nature. And you get grounded, you get centered, you get clarification, and you have a lot of realizations during that process. Was that, you know, safe to say true in your experience? Yes. And what you know now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, while I was, you know, really into the uh, career building, law practice building, I worked out regularly, but it was mostly in the gym, or maybe riding a bicycle on a trail, um, or occasionally kayaking on the river that's behind my house, which was really the closest to kind of a real nature experience I would have uh, during that period of time. But yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up um, on the edge of a small town. There was a river behind our house. There were woods all around us. And uh, in fact, there, there was a one period of time uh, that my nickname was Nature Boy. Um, I just, I loved being outdoors and the outdoors was always important to me and and that was the essence of what where i felt spiritually connected and i and i had become disconnected from that so yeah no that's you're absolutely right and it's sad because most people are doing that they're so disconnected but they i mean i'm sorry but you know they're 
there's a belief in a program like you know going into a building and worship praying doing all that you're but it's not you know that that's we're spiritual beings we're connected to everything and everyone energetically spiritually and it's part of that program and it's like how do you wake up and I guess have that light bulb moment or that aha moment, you know, to do something different like you did. Yeah. Well, in, in my case, it uh, took, like I said, kind of a kick in the butt um, by my wife. Um, and, and I do think people should, you know, pay attention to those who love them and, you know, take hints or explicit advice um, when it's given. Um, but the other thing is to just, you know, not get disconnected from whatever your spiritual source is. And, and yeah, and I think, you know, fundamentally it is nature. I, I, I do think a lot of people can find a sense of um, calm and uh, and and I would say a spiritual connection within church and worship community and you know kind of those traditional ways um, through religion. I also think that can send you down <laughs> the very wrong path. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, by taking that track, uh, in the Himalayas, it just it reconnected me so deeply that <laughs> I ended up going back 14 times and starting a foundation uh, in Nepal, and it really sent me down a completely new path in life, although in a way it was connected with a path I had been on uh, earlier in life. Isn't that like amazing when you connect the dots? I keep telling my audience, you know, if you just connect the dots, you'll find, you know, because we get also programmed, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, you know, work hard for your money and whatnot. But they miss like little pieces of, you know, recognizing what you're passionate about, you know, and, you know, let like helping and guide them and them to focus on what they're passionate about like in your case you loved nature well if i was your mom i'm like you love nature so much you're the nature boy we need to find you something that you could do that you could do to create an income with and you know find so you stay in that what you're passionate about because once you're passionate it's not really work but you got to live so let's find a way for you to continue that so you can be in that and see where it takes you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think really there's two different ways to do that. One is if you can find a way to combine your that passion with work, I think that's wonderful, but I also don't think it's all that common. I think it, it, it does happen with some people and those are very lucky people. But I think the other way is you have a job that you do um, 
and that pays your bills and that supports you, your family. But but that's eight hours a day. There's 24 hours a day. There's normally 16 waking hours in a day. So there's plenty of time outside of work to be outside gardening or hiking or kayaking, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of uh, ways and time outside of a job that you can be connected with nature. You can, you know, you can do whatever it is that grounds you uh, in a spiritual sense. So, um, you know, I'm sympathetic to people uh, who, you know, need to work at eight hour days to support their family. Um, but I also think you're right that, you know, you don't want to let go of where you find that source of, uh, you know, of real power and passion and creativity. Otherwise, as you said, you're just sort of living out a program. <laughs> you could, yeah. yeah, you could, you could just be a computer program <laughs> that somebody else has designed. Right, right. Because it's like, you know, there's like so much more I can go deep on that. But please share like, okay, your wife gives you a brochure. Here, take a hike, literally. <laughs> go trek to, what is it, the Himalayans? Uh, so you get there. You sign up. You get there. Share with us that experience and then you know, what did you realize when you got there and did what you did? Well, um, you know, I live in Indiana, uh, so it's not like there are mountains <laughs> around here. We, we do have some hills, uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I had traveled uh, through mountains before this, but I never really spent time in the mountains at all. I never you know, been on any sort of a mountain climb. So we, uh, you know, we fly up uh, into the Himalayas and you disembark from this uh, little prop plane and you just start hiking with a pack on your back and with uh, a crew of porters and a guide uh, and, and other trekking team members. And you are in the most spectacular mountain range in the world. You know, the, the, uh, the 10 highest peaks are right there visible to you uh, day after day as you're trekking towards Mount Everest. And it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's just spectacular, the scenery. So that, that was the first thing that just uh, wowed me. But then the other thing that really touched me was the people that live up in the Himalayas. And the, the first people I encountered were the Sherpa people, which are, you know, kind of the most famous tribal ethnic group in Nepal. Um, but, the, but there are others. And um, Sir Edmund Hillary described the Sherpas as the strongest and the kindest people in the world. And the, there was, I encountered this amazing, tough endurance in these small people who were, you know, carrying 
loads much heavier than mine and yet they were you know a full head shorter than me and 30 40 pounds lighter and the, their toughness was just so impressive but the other thing is they just had these wonderfully sweet personalities i mean just sweet is the kind uh hillary called it kind but it was just this this um really kind of um sweet attractive personality and so i not only fell in love with the mountains but i, I just i fell in love with the people who live up in the mountains uh the the sherpas uh are buddhists so that was my first encounter on of what you know what was their religion what was their spiritual connection uh but then i, I got acquainted with other tribal ethnic groups and the one i ended up spending most of my time with and working with through a foundation are called the Rai people. And I found their spirituality even more interesting and compelling than the Sherpa Buddhism, because the Rai people are animus and they are nature worshipers. They don't really have a formal religion. They don't have a holy book. They, they don't have, you know, churches, temples, um, they have some traditions and they have stories, uh, but they think God is in everything, everywhere, everything has spirit, which makes them super environmentalists because, you know, you have to respect everything in the whole world uh, and you have to treat it with respect. And that just, again, that just wowed me. The, uh, the, the beautiful, ethic the way that the right people lived um i really just uh i wanted to spend more time with them and um so that's why i kept going back and started a foundation working with them wow and you have like several books you've been on several podcasts um and you know during you even teach a class on uh, philanthropy based on, you know, setting up foundations and things like that. You know, what was the purpose for you to do that? Well, um, the, the thing about the Nepal that almost everybody who visits there finds is that they, we, we love the country, we love the people, and we also realize how poor they are um although they're spiritually rich they're materially poor um many of the villages still to this day don't have schools don't have running water don't have electricity and uh so when i i got connected with this one particular village because uh, in 2006 uh, a mountaineering expedition I was on, all of the guys that were our support staff, the porters, cooks, guides, um, were for the, from this one village called Basa. And uh, they told me that they had a school that had just started a couple of years before that, but it only had three grades, and they wanted to add a fourth and a fifth grade. And if I would raise or donate $5,000, um, they could, that would pay to add two classrooms and pay the salaries of two more teachers for three years, which 
I mean, you think five thousand dollars to wow. you know pay for the materials for a class, two classes, and two teachers. It's anyway. So, so I did that, and, and I wanted to kind of raise the consciousness of of friends of mine who were mostly other trekkers and climbers, and so a, a bunch of us contributed to that. We actually raised about sixty five hundred dollars, and I went back and. Uh, you know, made the donation, and then the people in Basa said, "Well, you know, we don't have any lights, and we look across this huge valley, and we can see these flickering lights across the valley." And uh, the teachers said, "You know, when when it gets dark, our students can't study anymore, and we can't prepare our lessons because it's too dark." So that turned into um, a hydroelectric project and with that what had started out to just being this sort of ad hoc fundraiser for this little school evolved into a 501c3 um, tax-exempt foundation and after the hydroelectric project we well there was no running water in the village either so next was a water project and then uh, LED lights and um, computers for the school and a medical clinic uh, down the road from the village and you know on and on and on and so that's the this foundation has uh, you know become a, a significant part of my life and it's drawn a bunch of other people into it and we've been sending somebody. Uh, on the board from the foundation over every year to connect personally with the village and it's um you know that it's this there's this wonderful synergy between the leaders in the village who develop their own ngo um and us and then the the village itself because those of us on the foundation board you know we've all been there and and all we all responded the same way I did, you know, just fell in love with the mountains and with the people. So it would be safe to say then, you know, when you look, you know, up the mountains, you know, in the Himalayas, and you could see it, you know, through your Google search, search or read books, see pictures of it. But being there personally, the pictures doesn't even give it justice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love to do photography. That's been one of my kind of hobbies. And I, I, you know, I like to post pictures and I published a, a lot of pictures in journals and magazines and, and books I've written. But yeah, there's nothing like actually, you, you can't reproduce the experience. You can, you know, it's like you can, uh, you know, kind of, you can smell it, but you can't taste it. <laughs> Uh, or you can see it, but you can't smell it and taste it. And, right. and, you know, that full sensory experience, the only way to do it is to go over there. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, they were so spiritually aligned and just connected. But it was like they're evolving in the way of living to this day was way behind years. <laughs> Would that be safe to say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first time I went to Basa, 
uh, and this is true of many of the villages I've, I've been to in the Himalayan region, is, you know, there's no running water, no radio, TV, cell phones, um, computers, internet, uh, not, you know, no electric lights, uh, no vehicles with wheels. The way they farmed was to either use a hand plow or uh, rope their plows to a water buffalo. Um, you know, they were, they were living the same way they'd lived for hundreds of thousand years. Nothing had changed except the school. And the, the interesting thing is the reason life in Basa had to change and they had to come into the modern world to some extent is a medical clinic had been established um, a two-hour walk from the village. And because they now had access to modern Western science-based evidence, what had been um, three out of four infant deaths, so their infant mortality rate was 75%, one out of four lived, it reversed. Three out of four were living, life expectancy went from about age of 50 to mid 60s. So many new mouths to feed, older people living longer. The village, because it was based on subsistence farming, could not support all the additional mouths to feed. And so the village elders realized we're going to have to send some of our kids away. We just can't, everybody can't live here. So they realized we need a school so that they can be educated and, and have a chance of getting a job by you know, being literate, being able to do arithmetic and so forth. So they started the school. Um, and then eventually they, they got access to regular birth control. So the, the, the big population spike in one generation has gone back down and the village is getting back to being sustainable um, in its, uh, its numbers, population. But a lot of the, the kids who are now, oh, uh, late teens uh, through their 20s had to leave the village. And um, so it, it's, you know, it's this funny sort of two sides of a coin. On the one hand, the encounter with the modern world was wonderful because it increased their life expectancy, more of their babies were living, but it had the downside of overpopulation and the village could no longer sustain all of its members. And, you know, that's just, it's boss as a microcosm of what we used to call the third world. That's just, that's happened all over, you know, Africa, Southeast Asia, Latin America. Um, and, um, you know, so once, <laughs> you know, once medicine comes, that's going to reduce infant mortality, increase life expectancy, population is going to increase. And now your traditional way of life, which maintained this sustainable um, community, it doesn't work anymore. So then, so how do you adjust? So what we've tried to do, and we've really tried to be very intentional about this in Basa with an understanding of the people in the village and our foundation, 
is that we will own the foundation will only respond to requests that they make so we're not going to say oh you know you need to have a road built and electrical vehicles come to Basa. but if they say to us you know we want computers for our school then we will try to help them with that but at the same time there's a commitment on both sides to try not to affect the traditional culture now whether that you know whether that's really going to work out for the next generation of kids growing up who now have access to the internet who now have cell phones um and there is now a road that goes right by the village um you know we'll see it, it's an experiment but we're you know, we one of our the principles of both of our foundations, our sister foundation there, and our foundation here, is that we will be as culturally sensitive as possible. Well, then I have a question. Then, you know, and I have the saying: if you don't learn your history, history is destined to repeat itself. You're destined to repeat itself. And then, yeah, there has been traditions through history that you know becomes extinct it doesn't work and there's even some things here in the united states is like you're operating in old tradition and old ways and old you know it's like programs and beliefs a system that's broken that's so outdated in this time and period that we live in now so it's like wow you know these tribes, granted, yes, they're very spiritually, but how can you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again for hundreds of years while everything else is changing and evolving? You're staying, then you're staying stuck here while everything else is over here. You, does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, that, that's actually one of the major themes I've addressed uh, in the two books that I, I've written specifically about, you know, my experience in Nepal and how the Basa Foundation has evolved. And what, what I have tried to promote is we modern Western civilized people can learn a lot from these so-called primitive people because they are so much more spiritually grounded so much closer to nature um, and they can learn from us because we have all this you know modern technology that can improve uh, health and education and you know all those sort of objective metrics of uh, quality of life um, and so what we've tried to do and you know everybody involved with our foundation agrees with this and has experienced it is we have responded to what we've learned from them by becoming uh, you know more reconnected with nature and you know respecting nature um and uh feeling that that sort of you know, reconnecting with that, what was lost uh, in really in, in contemporary consumer culture, you know, which is all about just comfort and consumption. 
and reconnecting with that more grounded way of life. But and at the same time, the people in Vasa are coming into the modern world and bringing into their lives what they see that we have that they would like to have that they think will improve their lives and especially the lives of their children. So how, you know, if there is a happy place in the middle or a, a happy synthesis, a more positive synthesis from this, um, you know, this, this really interesting cultural encounter, you know, time will tell, but I, I would say, you know, so, so far it's working. Wow, kudos to you and your in your foundation. I mean, it's like <laughs> kudos to them because they lasted this long, but they can't keep doing the same thing, <laughs> kind of thing. It, yeah, yeah it, it must crazy, crazy. <laughs> well, the and you know, so you know, you alluded to it, but so I have wanted to to take this message, this learning out to the wider world and so that's why i've written books and articles and been on other podcasts no none as wonderful as yours of course casey but uh to spread this this message and i taught a class at two different universities um you know trying to convey to the next generation what i've learned about how to do philanthropy the right way to be culturally sensitive and to you know to respect the beautiful things that there are in in these less developed so so called less developed cultures, um, and how we can meld the best of um, our you know our amazing <laughs> the technological wonders uh, of our world, but with the spiritually deep and nature connected aspects of their world wow and you know i have like a deep gratitude because i'm an earth earth like earth is my sign being a virgo so i love the nature of the mountains you know north carolina tennessee you know i haven't been i've been to california but i never really got to enjoy the the mountain and over there, the mountains and whatnot, it's always been on the East coast. Mm -hmm. And, but I love the ocean too. That's why my background is the ocean, the sunrise, the sunset that I'm just drawn to that connected to that. You know, if I could go to the ocean and just float for a few, I feel grounded. I feel so connected. If I could go snorkeling, oh my gosh, it's a whole other world down below. Um, but there's beauty in it. It's breathtaking. It, you know, I come up more alive and it's when, you know, even being here in America and everything that's been going on, it's like, I feel like we're so disconnected now it's affecting our planet. It's affecting, you know, certain parts because we're everything's energy and we're connected to everything energetically too as well so it's if we can especially the younger generation be grateful for where you're at but get them awakened or 
informative, educational of, hey, let me show you what it's like over on the other side. Let me show you some history. Let me see. Let me show you what's still going on today that, you know, traditionally this is how they live. You know, what can you do to help, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I feel like when we all can connect that way, oh, my gosh, the transformation with ourselves and this planet that we live on, it would be amazing. We'd honestly live a more joyful, harmonious, peaceful way of living. If we could all wake up to that concept. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think Nepal is the only place where you can, you know, experience that and make that connection. Like you, I love the ocean too. I, I love rivers, lakes. I, I just love the water. And one of the other books I wrote was uh, called Island Adventures. Uh, and it's all about disconnecting from our uh, consumer technological way of life uh, to reconnect through the ocean and through islands. Um, I, I was very into scuba diving for a number of years and one of the most incredible, wonderful experiences of connecting with nature through adventure was um, paddling and diving in a country called Palau, which is an island nation in the in the Pacific Ocean, um, where I I paddled from one island to another, camped out, uh, spent most of the time just by myself, uh, kayaking and camping. But there were some you know, villages on some of the islands and, and again, you know, connecting with people who live so much closer to nature, who, you know, the bounty of the ocean is where their food primarily comes from. And um, so, yeah, there's, you know, there's all sorts of different ways that you can disconnect from consumer programmatic culture um and can and reconnect with nature and yeah i the, i i respond to the ocean the same way you describe uh, oh my gosh when and i think that's the problem with you know most i'm, I'm gonna say human beings they're so stuck in a the program they don't take time you know like you said to connect you know, they lost sight of it or they're just so programmed and asleep, I would say. They're sleeping still. <laughs> but when I can, oh my gosh, I feel so energized. And then I get clarity and my creative senses come in to where I'll come down and take notes. Oh, I could do this for this, you know, for this project and do this for that project. And oh, I could do this for that. And and I write it down. I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, I'll get to it. <laughs> As I take a time out, you know, like, it's funny, you know, when the parents, you know, sort of like when they say we were misbehaving, they would put us in a time out. Well, now I'm an adult and I'm like, I'm putting myself in time out. I'm going to go snorkeling somewhere or I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to put myself in time out. You know, I find myself in, in like 
yeah, put yourself in timeout. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> I'm not sure my kids <laughs> would agree with you that, well, they're, you know, they're grown up now. Maybe, maybe they would, but um, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's your, your timeout is equivalent to my disconnect. Yeah, disconnect from your busy programming, your busy life that you're, you know, your routines, your habits, you know, disconnect from that and get back, you know, get back to your true authentic self, you know, connecting with that. Yeah, you know, in uh, business, uh, the term disruption has become very popular uh, within the past few years. And and at times I find it kind of annoying, uh, like, wait a minute, what do you want to disrupt the economy for? Uh, it's working pretty well for me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the point of these young entrepreneurs who, who like that term is that, okay, you know, business has been done this way for a long time, but wait a minute, if we disrupt the way things have been done traditionally, we can bring in a whole new technology or a whole new you know way of doing business or a whole new product whatever and although that's you know again all about commerce and business um the, it, it's it's a parallel idea that disrupting the status quo can can be a creative can lead to a more creative approach to whatever the activity is well i look at it this way it's not disrupting it's hello there's you know like systems that were in place what 10 20 30 years ago and you want to operate in that same system while everything else is changing and evolving to better serve so you can do even more and expand as long as now there's you know, it's all most corporations from, you know, learning about history. It's all about the money, all about the money. And, you know, employees were no longer an asset. They're just a number. So it has, there's some, like you say, parallels, ups and downs, but it's all in the mindset, what you believe too. But my thing is, in my belief system now, it's if it's not a win-win for all, it's not a good idea, but if it can help, you know, everyone involved, including you, then it is a good idea and go forward with it. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, even corporate America is slowly learning that with the whole the ESG movement within um, business, uh, you know, being sensitive beyond the, you know, beyond just profit being sensitive to your employees, being sensitive to the environment, being sensitive to the political situation. And, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of criticism from sort of the Trumpist part of the Republican Party. But I, I think it's a, you know, it's a real positive development within business. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, pleased with it you know whenever you see uh people wanting to be more responsible to their community and to their environment 
why would you want to criticize that? I know, right? It's like, it's mind blowing. I'm like, wait a minute here. I'm like, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, kind of thing. Like, this is for the greater good. Hello. But there is positive forces and negative forces, you know? So I just keep my positive energy going with those positive forces that are aligned with what I value and what I would like to see change for the better for all, you know? Um, and I, I try not to put, you know, there is some things that, you know, it's to me, don't put your religious beliefs into your politics or into your corporation kind of thing. No, that that's very destructive. Yeah. Well, in fact, one of the other books I wrote, which is called the title of it is Godless Living a Valuable Life Beyond Beliefs. Uh, the, the major theme of it is that religion and partisan politics have become a destructive force. And what we need to do is to reconnect with our fundamental community values and pattern our individual lives based on those fundamental community values as opposed to some religious doctrine or political ideology and our community should at all levels local state national international should go back to operating based on those values of cooperation instead of this never-ending competition of who's going to come out on top um and so, yes, that I, I very much resonate to what you were just saying about values. So I wrote a whole book on it. <laughs> I want that book. I want that book. I well, it has a very interesting cover, which actually my um, older son, um, one of the things he's done is uh, design uh, some of the covers of my book. But we took the, the famous... Um, uh, 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 picture uh, painting on the Sistine Chapel wall of God, God, you know, touching the finger mm -hmm. of you, and we whited out God. So on the cover is that of uh, an image of that famous painting, um, but with God whited out. Be the point being, we need to take responsibility for ourselves, um, yes. and the way we do that is we live, we actually live out the values that almost everybody agrees with. You know, almost everybody who's, everybody who's sane, you know, agrees that being compassionate is a good thing. Being generous is a good thing. Being cooperative instead of competitive, unless it's in a sport or a game, of course, then competition is great. But, um, you, you know, caring about the environment, all, all of the things that build up community and sustain the natural world, that's how, th those are the bases that decisions should be made as opposed to some abstract ideology or, you know, some dogmatic 
beliefs that were <laughs> made up 2,000 years ago. Thank you. And there's other writings that were, what, over 40,000 years of some history that is mind-blowing mind to me, but then I started questioning other things. I'm like, oh, so that's where they got this information 2,000 years ago, because these writings speak a whole nother story. You know, because I, I don't know about you, but even when you went to Nepal and all these other places, did you ever wonder how, like, the civilization got created? How did they, like, how did language, that's where my journey was like, well, how did they speak, you know, way back when? You know, because studying history is like, well, what was the language? How did they write? How did, you know, how did writing become? How did it get to the way, you know, it's changed so radically because civilizations and then got destroyed, another civilization got created, and then they started this writing. And, you know, the one that I've been studying is the Sumerian. And I was like, wow, like they knew how to agriculture, they knew how to do taxes, they knew how to do, you know, wages, they had, and, and whatnot. It's like, Mind-boggling, and I was like, "Wow, how do they know how to do all that?" They had surgeons and physicians back then too. Like, I was just like, oh. like <laughs> "I'm just like floored by all this." But then, <clears throat> you know, coming to now, it's like, "Hello, <laughs> wake up!" <laughs> like, the truth is like the truth is inside us all, and. You know, I don't honestly believe that there is this, like, God that is judgmental, violent, hateful, you know, because then I was told, well, God loves all his children. I'm like, oh, really? Then why is God allowing all this hate to happen and all this violence to happen and this separation and this division? I'm like, I don't think God created that. Man did. And how far back does this go? And we can all change it. You know, and realize that, oh, now I see where that came from. I don't want to be in that program. You know, the more we wake up, the more we can connect. And then, you know, we can make the change for the better. There doesn't have to be competition. You know, in division or even hatred anymore. It yeah, well, yeah. then, it's not going to work now. It's still not working. Yeah, unfortunately, the competition uh, too often turns to violence. I mean, you know, look at Russia, Ukraine. I mean, we're nearing war with China. Uh, because of the economic competition and um, it's a power, it's, power struggle. Yeah, it's actually right. a masculine pissing contest. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yeah, I can bitch slap them all and say, you know what, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. Well, and you can even release it from the binary gender distinction to just cooperation versus competition. I mean, mm -hmm. why why not be cooperative, which is certainly more associated with the feminine, 
but you know that that's that's what's positive in my mind about the feminine as opposed to sort of the traditional masculine associations is the cooperation tends to be more associated with the feminine but the you know going back to you know why why are we this way uh, and how and what's the association with religion the <laughs> if you think about the kind the logical contradictions in what religion tells us i mean for example the the monotheistic view of god that says god is all powerful but god loves every single one of us and god knows what will happen before it happens and then and god is like a loving parent okay wait a minute <clears throat> what loving parent would allow his children to starve to death would allow floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes to destroy and allow his children to slaughter each other okay wait a minute so does god not know what's going to happen so god's not omniscient or is god really not loving and if god's not loving then why the hell would we worship him yeah um, <laughs> but so that yeah i mean that's the first third of my my godless book is to sort of go through and show the logical inconsistencies and the ridiculous places that that kind of thinking leads yeah, yeah. I, you know what thank you for writing that book i cannot <laughs> wait to get a hold of that book I'll be like, oh my God, Jeff, this is so cool. This is like, yes, that's what I was asking. That's what, that's like the book that I read, Conversations with God. Hmm. From Neil Donald Walsh. And I was having those same kind of questions that he was having. Because he was frustrated, inventing with a pen and paper. And all of a sudden the pen stopped. And, you know, he heard this voice say, well, are you tired of venting? Are you going to continue venting? Or do you want to know the truth? Hmm. And what, yeah what, what was the truth well that that what we believe is god is not the truth and that god is a the essence life force energy it's just energetic there's no masculine there's no feminine he does he's just observing through us all and experiencing life through us all. You're God experience life in your form. I'm God experiencing life in my form. Yeah, and the question that I raise in the book is whether we would be better off with just ditching the term God. The my my Rai friends in Basa, um, they talk about spirit. Mm-hmm. And they'll sometimes use the word God because they know that's the word we use. And they'll say, well, like God is in everything. But they, they're really, they're just talking about spirit. It isn't like this God that you worship um, or that's explained in some holy book or that some preacher, pastor, minister, rabbi, um, imam, you know, has to... Uh, translate for you or speak to speak on god's behalf 
It's just that if there is a um, an animating force within the universe, then that's we can call that spirit, or we don't even need to call it anything. It just is. And right. the whole the universe is I am that I am. So are like you. It 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 it. Yeah. So I you know I I know it's not gonna happen, but I think we might all be better off if we just ditched the term God and went back to that, you know, the the much earlier uh way of just relating to nature. This is just you know, this is the world the way it is, and we need to respect it. And it's awesome, and we should be grateful for being alive in it. Yeah, it's um, there is something that Dr. Wayne Dwyer said you could be either the host of God hmm. or a hostage to your ego, it's your call. You know, I'm just I had this concept now once I got my head around it, I was like, wow, okay, that makes sense. I'm just a divine spiritual being, sexual being in this human being. There is a spirit, life force energy in this machine that I get to be in and just live life. I got that light bulb goes on. I'm like, wow, now I can make some changes now because I don't like the way, you know, I don't like what knowing what i know like knowing what i know now now i can go forward and start like i'm making those changes and doing things that i feel alive to do and want to experience yeah well that's uh, i think that one that, that one to experience is really all about what it is to be alive mm-hmm and that goes back to what i was talking about how a sense of adventure is spiritual mm-hmm. otherwise you know you're just sleepwalking and and one last thing before we wrap this up you know during your journey and everything and and this so-called midlife crisis symptoms that you were experiencing and you had to go take a hike um i love that <laughs> did your values change like what you valued before no longer seemed to, like of importance to you. you you made some changes in what you valued after all that experience um it wasn't so much that what i valued changed it was what i was focused on changed i mean i i still value having money and having you know being able to enjoy the fruits of my labor um because it gives me the freedom to adventure and experience um i don't really care that much about things i mean i have i still wear some clothes that i had when i was a teenager um so my my wife makes fun of me for not wanting to throw things away <laughs> but uh so but but yeah what what really changed it was a matter of prioritization um i just you know like i said before i, I just needed to reprioritize and and recognize which my wife recognized is that i 
I needed to reconnect with that spirit of adventure, which was connected with a spirituality. And so then that, you know, led me down this path to engage in all these activities other than practicing law. Wow. Kudos to you. I'm so proud of you. And, you know, thank you for the inspirations in your books. I cannot wait to get that a hold of that book because I know I'm going to enjoy it very much and probably learn a, a few things. Um, do you have anything else coming up? like any projects or another book? Well, I guess two things. Um, I am actually working on another book, which the working title of it is 72 Wisdoms. And uh, I'm taking famous and infamous and unknown quotes that I find wisdom in those quotes and then digging down into who said them, why did they say them? What do they mean? And trying to sort of, you know, plumb the the depth of meaning in those seventy two different quotes. And I'm it's in the editing process now, so it may be a month or two away from publication. But the the other thing is our Bassa Foundation is just on the verge of doing something we've never done before. Um, all of our projects have been infrastructure. But this next project is actually going to be helping to start a business in Vasa. And the reason that we're doing this, because I never thought we would do that, is um, the community depends on subsistence farming. But because a lot of the men work in the tourism industry and they they went from you know, not even having money to having money because of the men working in the tourism industry. Well, COVID hit. And for two years, there's been almost no tourism in Nepal. And so this whole village that had become partly dependent on a money, a currency-based economy, didn't have any money. So the village decided it wanted to, st to start a co-op business that would benefit the whole village. And what they want to do is create a fish farm and goat raising. So the goats would produce cheese and milk and yogurt, and the fish would be food. Um, so we're, we're, we're coming close to working out how that project is going to work and what it's going to cost and so forth. So that'll be very interesting because I, we, in fact, at the very beginning, we thought that, you know, we will never get involved in anything to try to make money. Um, but we've realized because of COVID, the village actually does need a way to, um, to replace revenue when tourism dries up. Yeah. And to, to sustain themselves. I yeah. mean, I'm already getting ideas in my head about helping and I'm like, wow, yeah, maybe they could do that. I don't know, but you know, that's further down a conversation later, but I'd love to stay connected with you. And I do believe I left a link for anybody interested in, in your foundation. There's a link listed below. Um, I definitely want to hear more about, you know, the, the fish farming and the goat stuff. And, yeah, let's stay in connection. I would love that. 
that'd be great, Casey. And it'd be fun to talk to you again when the, either the book comes out or the the fish farm <laughs> and the and the goat herd gets established. Yes, because I, I would like to help you know donate and contribute to to help them in that way. That's where okay. I'm. Because I love fishing. So I'm like, hey, if I can help them with the fish farm, hey, I'm all, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. you can come over and fish. Go Absolutely. up in the, in the Nepal Himalayas to go fishing. I always wanted to go to the Himalayas. Well, I can, I can make it happen. I would love that. And you got to come in with me so you could take me on the tour and then I get to see everything. And you can show me this is what I did over here. This is look at this view over here. I took a picture. See this, you know, that kind of experience. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Casey. I, it'd be great to talk to you again. Absolutely. Well, there you go. You never know who I get on my show. And this was a very touching, meaningful and even a spiritual conversation on a whole new level and a new way. I hope this helps you. Uh, please, if you feel touched in any way to help in the organization, uh, all the information is down below. And jewelry is provided by Pretty Bling Boutique, skincare and makeup by pharmacy. So if you want some information about that, just click down below. Until then, you better stay tuned because you never know who I'm going to have on this show with Wake Up With Casey.